Hak Sukkot Sameach, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. This is the return of Master Plan. So each week, Bezrat Hashem, we are going to be back in this fancy little book here. This is one of the best resources you could possibly ever have, whether you're just beginning in Judaism or whether you're a seasoned veteran. The whole spectrum. Uh, this is a great book. And it really does a good job of breaking everything down. Uh, this is called the 3,000 foot view of Judaism. So it gives you all the sources for Torah, for the uh, written Torah, the oral Torah. It tells you all about the festivals, the Yom Tovim, and everything like that. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and just run through the preface real quick. And then I will be uh, getting into chapter one. And then Bezrat Hashem will have just a little brief time afterwards. Of course, it won't be recorded, uh, that part, but uh, we'll record the whole class, take a few minutes afterwards, do anything if anyone has any questions. And also to let you know, all of these videos will be posted on the Magin Yeshenu Vimeo account. So if you don't get to see class live, then you can also tune in uh, to the replay. So first up, I wrote a couple of things in the uh, the inner cover, just as a few teaching points. Um, the first thing is there's something called halakha. Halakha is obligation. It's not rights. So that's important because when you're looking at this, this isn't something that you need to you need to strong arm people into doing and things like that. This is something that you really take up on yourself. You know, the Messiah Yeshua says take my yoke upon you. And so this is something that you really have to be willing to accept upon yourself. And also when it comes to Halakha, there are different levels. So some people have a higher stringency, uh, different uh, depths in which they will observe the commandments because Halakha means to walk. So the way in which we walk out the commandments, which is mitzvot, so that's the first thing. The next one is teach according to ability to learn. This is one of the main reasons like why I've chosen this book is because you could get the Shulchan Aruch, you can get the Mishneh Torah from Rambam, you can get uh, Horeb, which is one of my favorite ones by Rabbi Hirsch and things like that. But if you're not uh, really into the, uh, the nuts and bolts way of looking into the halakha, and if you need something that's more user friendly um, and that just puts things in a very concise way and uh, more smooth, uh, if you will, uh, especially if you're not used to studying halakha, this is a great source. This uh, you'll see as we get into it. So. That's the other thing with teaching according to your learnability. If you want to study the Talmud, you do not have to go out and buy all 70 plus volumes of the Talmud. Did you know that? So Art Scroll has done a wonderful job of releasing what's called the Humash with the teachings of the Talmud. It's a green book. It's a five book set. And if you get that, you'll go through the Torah portions and you'll learn a lot of the two Talmuds that we have, because yes, there are two. There are two Torahs, two Talmuds, two Mashiachs, all that, two worlds, this world and the world to come, okay? And because we're studying Kohelet, uh, 
the the uh, Sefer of Ecclesiastes during Sukkot, there were actually two Sukkots uh, at one point that uh, King Shlomo, King Solomon had enacted. So there's a lot of twos. But um, you can get insights from the Talmud Yerushalayim, which is the Jerusalem Talmud. And you could also get teachings from the Talmud Bavli, which is the Babylonian Talmud. So you can get into a lot more with that. Uh, if you are into, let's see, what other humashas they have. They have, uh, if you want to study the Midrash, if you want to just learn all of the Midrash at one point, you can get the Midrash Says, which will take you through the Torah portions, and it'll condense down. Uh, the midrashim into a concise way of doing it as opposed to buying the whole midrash rabbah which is a very voluminous set and they are heavy books i'm talking big books just like the talmud size big books also um they have the weekly parasha which is one of my favorites it looks like a coloring book uh that's already colored by a super skilled artist that's a wonderful book as well and then um, if you're into Gematria, you can get the Bahaturim and so many things like that. So there are many ways is what I want to point out is that you can learn without overwhelming yourself in Judaism. And so that's important to know. And this is why being in community is a beautiful thing, too, because you can learn from one another. Not everyone in a Jewish community is super scholarly and super studied. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but it's not at least as far as our history is concerned, and even in some synagogues today, uh, not everyone is super like bookworm. So this is also the benefit of being in community. We are actually in Sukkot right now, and we're learning these things, that there are people who actually study Torah and they do mitzvot. That's one representation of what is known as the Arba Minim, the Lulav. There's also another person who studied Torah, but they damn it. There's a person who does the, or yeah, they study Torah, but they don't do commandments. Person who doesn't study and they don't do commandments either. But yet we're all called to be echad. So there's that. We have to think about these things because sometimes if you're not aware of it, you feel like, oh my gosh, I need to like just go buy a whole bunch of books. I need to go get in yeshiva. I need to go. Uh, sit at a rabbi's feet and I need to go do all these things when really what impact are you making in the world should be your biggest question. And that's another reason why we got this book master plan is because this teaches you about the impact that you will have in the world as a Jew and how to do it in a very steadfast and a very solid way. Because the worst thing that you can do in your Judaism is to be frantic, to be a speed racer, Shout out to Speed Racer. Are you just a person? Mitzvot, are you doing? What halakha are you keeping? Did you separate for three hours or six hours? You know, all those kinds of things. You want to re refrain from doing those things because, number one, we don't embarrass each other. So if you're getting into those kind of modes, if you've been in that kind of headspace, then Bezrat Tashem, may we all be broken of that. Okay, so those are the couple of things I wanted to mention from there. Let's get into the preface. Uh, the preface is on the Roman numeral pages. So uh, the first one is page uh, IX, which I'm going to guess is nine. Is that nine? Okay. 
Roman numerals are a thing I need help with. It says in the second paragraph, uh, actually, let me just read the first through the second paragraph. What does Judaism mean to the average man in the streets? Nine times out of 10, Sabbath, festivals, synagogue, dietary laws, brit milah, which is circumcision, and mourning rites, which is known as sitting shiva. Uh, but all these are merely a small part of what Judaism means. Small part. I just want to zoom in on small part because how big is the Shabbat in our life? Do we not plan our weeks by the Shabbat? <laughs> we go from Shabbat. Okay, well, how many days to Shabbat? Okay, here we go. Today is the first day of Shabbat. Second day of Shabbat, on and on. So we get to Shabbat again. It's like that's a small part. And then it says, um, Judaism is a comprehensive scheme which covers all aspects of life, the individual and society, modes of behavior, personal relations, husband and wife, the tax system, ruler and ruled, professional integrity and business ethics, how to run a home, a community, a society, a state, in other words, it embodies the art of living in all its aspects. That is by far my favorite drop from the preface, because how much of that says you sat in the study hall all day and just learned? You know, because the other thing is, it's just as holy to be taking out the trash as it is to be lifting up the Torah scroll and saying, Bezot HaTorah. And this is the Torah. You know, uh, it's just as holy to put on uh, Kippa and Zitzit or Tekel and dress uh, Zanut as it is to uh, to go to work. And, and, and uh, I'm going to use the word battle, battle traffic. Because how your demeanor is on the road is just as important as how you dress. Because how many of us know that if you saw a person who dressed very from they looked like they were super stringent, but yet they had a horrible mouth or they had a horrible attitude. And this would be the last person that you would expect to cut you off on the road. And that's literally where the rubber, pun intended, meets the road. Because, again, it's a comprehensive scheme. As my Haruta likes to say, behavioral cognitive rehabilitation. That's the name of the game. And with that, you do not beat other people down and you also don't beat yourself down it's all about improvement little by little over time that's how things work this is why it is written in the turned up talmud known as the brit hadashah which consists of the gospels and the letters of the apostles that the race is not given to the swift but to those who endure endure is probably a word we should all study probably need to write it down and Keep it in front of us. Uh, I want to go to page XIV, which is page 14. Okay, cool. Um, I got I got a, a group of people here. I'm in the Gages Suka. So shouts out to the Gages. That's why you hear stuff in the background with uh, nature, because that's where we're at. All right, so um, may there be a bracha upon the Gages for a good year, for good mazel. May they live and be well. All right. So scheme of the mitzvot is what I want to tune into because 
no matter how you look at halakha, it's like, how is it codified? Because all the halakha flows from the oral law. So, for instance, it says the Torah contains tradition 13 spoke. Taking positive and negative mitzvot together, positives is the do, negative is the do not. It says, on many occasions, Torah insists that they form a coherent whole. However, the overall scheme is not immediately apparent from the written Torah. So during the course of history, attempts have been made to classify the mitzvot in various ways. So it's not that, oh, we don't want to be stringent, so let's not get into the shulkan or... We want to be more uh, lax in our observance, so let's do master plan. It's like, no, how? what's the best way to bundle together all the mitzvot in a way that is easily studied and more palatable to the person who's learning and engaging in it? So it says in the Mishnah, it says the authoritative recension of the oral law by Rabbi Yehuda. Hanasi, which is the prince in the second century CE. The mitzvot in their entirety are grouped into six classes or orders, which is known as shas, if you ever come across that word. And it says with 60 subdivisions or tractates, also known as maseket. So if you hear maseket shabbat, that means tractate shabbat. And it says they are arranged according to subject matter. All right. So if you have the handbook of Jewish thought, there's a whole chapter about the tradition. And it talks about how the Talmud is all broken up into the six orders and the divisions and the titles. Okay. So let's jump down next paragraph. Thousand years later, Maimonides, aka the Rambam, the Eagle, made more detailed classification of the entire oral law and the 14 main groups. So shouts out to him, because how many of us can even get through one tractate of Talmud? He was like, I did it all. Here's my receipt. Next one, a couple of centuries later, Maimonides, Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher, known as the Tour, confined his presentation with, to the mitzvot, which apply at present day, i.e. excluding the laws of temple service and related topics. He reduced the main groupings to four of which the first is the way of life. Now, did not the Messiah say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Well, that right there encapsulates the mitzvot, is a way of life, which is truth. And Yeshua says, I've come to testify to the truth. And he also asked that we be sanctified in the truth, which is why many of our commandments, we say, Asher Kedeshanu Be'mitzvotav, who sanctifies us, with his commandments okay and then it goes on to say this follows the jew from the moment he wakes up in the morning until he retires at night and then throughout the year with its shabbat and festivals days of joy and mourning those are equally important it's not just a happy joy ride all the time you're gonna have ups and downs and judaism already knows this and so it's already has the comprehensive system to do that so this is another reason why it's important to have endurance because sometimes it's happy it's easy and when you're happy you can do things like like that but when you're sad when you're depressed or when you've been traumatized when you go through tragedies and things like that 
Sometimes you move a little slower. Sometimes you do a little motivation. Sometimes you want to take days off. Again, you got to endure. So being able to engage or hold on to something to pull you through those times or to keep you stable as you try to fly through the roof is equally important. Next, we have, um, let's go down to the next paragraph. In the present work, we follow in principle, if not in detail, the innovative classification of Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch. Okay, so I'm just going to let you know I am Team Hirsch all the way, um, but that doesn't mean anything for anybody here because who likes Rumbaum? You know, we got Team Rumbaum in the house, you know, so it's okay. But um, that's another reason why I love this book is because it really dissects Horeb in a beautiful way to give you a more, um, they, they call it a philosophical way, but just more cognitive uh, engagement in the mitzvot as opposed to this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do. Have you ever thought about why you're doing it? What's behind what you're doing? And that's what we're really going to see here. So he says in Horeb, uh, where the mitzvot are grouped according to their function. All right. So one more thing here. Uh, the next page, we have different groups. We have five groups and we have justice towards other people, justice towards the environment, love and concern for other people, enrichment of the environment and the inner life. So between these five different categories, Master Plan breaks down all 613 commandments. So that's how you'll be able to navigate through this book is figure out, okay, are we doing something that's related between us and other people? Is this more of a social thing or this more something environmental, like um, how we regulate and use the environment for our enjoyment? You know, uh, if you're going to build a house, you know, uh, what kind of land are you setting up for yourself or something like that? Love and concern for other people. So uh, this is where if people are hurting, you being able to go and be hospitable to them, go visit them, you know, things like that. Your inner life, man, what's going on up here? And oh my gosh, what's going on in here? That is probably the most treacherous uh, areas to look at. So <laughs> what I put next to inner life is Ephesians 2.10, just to give us a little hope, because sometimes opening up your heart and looking at those nooks and crannies that you tried to cover up and keeping monsters locked in the basement. We have got to know that we are a workmanship, which means we're going to have to work, which means sometimes we're going to say, man, and it's going to feel like we're out to sea on a ship storm tossed sometimes. And other times, oh, it's so beautiful out here. Just watching the waves. Okay. Workmanship. Got to work, man. All right. So, should also give us courage too, because that means all of your your uh, what would be considered negative uh, traits are also things that are beneficial for a blessing. Because sometimes, you know, you need things that pull you down to actually pull you up. You know, uh, to to stay anchored, to stay uh, what we call humble. Uh, because if you feel like, oh, I'm knocking it out of the park every day, then you can get the big head and then you won't be able to fit through doors and that won't be good either. So uh, having a little balance in your life is great. And also knowing that there can be purpose to your pain. 
So if you if you mold it and you channel it, you know, and, and say, Hashem, I'm struggling right now. I, I don't really know why. Maybe you want to know why. Maybe you don't want to know why. Maybe you'll get an answer. Maybe you won't. But all in all, you're still taking that and you're plugging it into Hashem and saying, Hashem, okay, here I am. As long as you're doing that, you're gonna you're gonna make you're gonna be you're gonna be good. And it may not be good in the way that we think according to our standard, but how many of us know Isaiah 55? My ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's what we're talking about. That's the that's the contrast. How high is heaven above earth? Well, if you go to Jerusalem, it's about 400 years away. So whatever that translates to. All right. So that means it's a very big, big gap. Okay. I think we're ready for chapter one. Try to keep these classes at an hour. So that's the goal, just so everybody knows. All right. So page two. Here we go at the top, because I like to write in the margin. So I want everybody to know it's okay to give yourself some notes or keep a notebook handy. Um, become holy. And this is really what is written in Leviticus at the conclusion of the Kashrut laws. This is also written by Kepha, like Yeshua's designated go get you some guy who says, be holy as I am holy. So the first thing we need to know about holiness and how to become that way is to be a just society. So to all the DC fans out there, Justice League is totally a thing in Judaism. Shouts out to the Rumbot, who is our Wonder Woman. So, all right, we have established a system of justice. Now, there's a thing in Judaism known as the Noahide Laws. There are so many things on the pros of that, so many things on the cons of that. So we're really not even gonna bite that all to say that there are specific mitzvot in the Torah that whether you're Jewish or not, you are accountable to, which I think is mind blowing. And to, uh, again, just to, to just leave everything over there with all the Noahide stuff. One of those mitzvot is establishing justice within your society. And that's the number one thing to becoming holy. And really, if you think about it, you're rehabilitating individuals and communities into unity and oneness with Hashem. So do you believe in God or do you attend a congregation once a week and all those kinds of things? All those questions take care of themselves because of the individual and because of the society in which you are now operating in just off of creating establishment established justice your boundaries your your lines that say this is how far we go we will not pass this we will not pass this spot you know holding a standard basically so i think that's a beautiful entry into master plan and it's interesting that that's what we start off with first so let's run through where do we find the commandments in the written Torah to establish this? Well, we got Deuteronomy 16, we got Genesis 18, Amos 5, and Isaiah 1. 
okay? Justice, justice is what you shall pursue. You shall appoint judges and officers of the law in all your cities, and they shall judge the people fairly. I have chosen him, Abraham, so that he will command his children and household after him to keep the way of God. There's another Yeshua drop. Keeping the way, like the way, the truth, and the life means doing what Abraham commanded his children to do. So if you really want to know, are you connected to the Mashiach? Are you really following in his footsteps? Are you really remaining in his love? It's like, well, what did Abraham tell us? And am I doing it? So if you need a gauge of how, how closely you're walking with the Mashiach, there's one little indicator. Let justice roll down like water and charity like a mighty stream. Okay, so that's from Amos. Amos. And uh, what's interesting about this, you think about the, the beauty and you think about the precision of the way water just rolls down something. It, it, just, it just does it, you know? And this is what happens to us becoming holy. Holiness is just going to happen because we're establishing justice. So when we look at that, uh, I think that's incredible that holiness becomes not something that you really try to strive and, and uh, force yourself and strain yourself to do as much as it just, it, it flows, pun intended. It says, seek out justice, put the right, or yeah, put, put right the wrong, grant justice to the orphan, stand up for the widow. Oh, here's some Second Timothy stuff right here. Um, then your sins, Charlotte, there'll be snow. Okay, so stop. Only way you can have your sins made white is through atonement, is through repentance, which is known as teshuva. Uh, you have to have forgiveness from Hashem, which means you have to be confessing to Hashem, coming to Him. But apparently, you can do that by seeking out justice, putting right the wrong, granting justice to orphans, and standing up for the widow. That's a very, very different way of looking at things. What does James tell us in his letter? What is good religion? I don't know. What does he say? Let me go look at it. Um, Yaakov, where are you at? Um, stand by. I'm pulling up my my passage here. Oh, to Daraba. Got a little scent to it. It does. All right. So this is in the letter to Yaakov, chapter one. Um. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, verse twenty-six. If anyone thinks he is religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is futile. Pure and undefiled religion. What is it? Is it knowing all of the oral Torah? Is it being super orthodox? Is it being reformed? Is it being secular? No, neither one of those. Oh. Why? Because it says, 
This is to care for the orphans and widows in their distress. Uh, Isaiah 118. If you do these things and your sins are as that are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So Yaakov is echoing Isaiah here. That's something to think about. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. Oh, because we get scarlet and so we need to be made white. Okay. So that happens through being a just society. I think that's amazing. Okay. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, that's a big one. So here's the thing. Number one, we got to judge people favorably. I don't know if we, if we, if people uh, understand the, the weight and the impact of that. Uh, one of the things that always happens to me is people will do something. And I'll catch them doing it and they'll be like, don't judge me. And I'll be like, too late. <laughs> and then they'll be like, you see, I knew it. And I'll be like, well, do you? Because did you know, as a Jew, we're supposed to judge people favorably. We can watch a kosher Jew come out of McDonald's and be like, oh, of course, he had to go use the restroom. Uh, Baruch Hashem, he needed AC. You know, and you're just like, man, I know he was up in there eating them nuggets. Like, he had to be. I know, bro, he, he loves chicken, you know? And it's just like, we don't get to do that. So there's another thing that we're called to do is die to ourselves, which I don't know in the Jewish context if that ever gets translated, but that's one of them is judging favorably. That's how you die to yourself because what you want to impose on a situation is sometimes what you need to put in the dirt. So um, we pray this actually after the Shemoni Esrei, my God, the soul that you play or uh, make my soul like dust before everyone cause me to chase after your commandments and all that, right? We finish davening before the king of the universe, and that's what we say. So how are we going to leave from that posture and then go out and be like, oh, yeah, Mr. McNugget, I saw you, you know, right? Like, okay, let's not do that. Okay, so that's just one random example. Let's go to the Mishnah, my coat one. Uh, this is on Safari if you want to find it. The Mishnah, M-I-S-H-N-A-H. -H. The Mishnah, which means a repetition of the commandments, Makot 1. So Makot has to do with lashes, okay? And this is about the Sanhedrin. Many of you may have heard this, but here's one of the many sources that teach this. The Mishnah continues to discuss the matter of testimony in the case of one who is liable to be executed concerning one whose verdict was delivered as he was sentenced to death and he fled and then came before the court that sentenced him. They do not overturn his verdict and retry him. Okay, one whose verdict was delivered. He was sentenced to death. That man was like, I'm out. And then he came back and the court's like, oh, no, he, he's, he, he made it. I mean, he got away. Darn, shucks. You ever read the, uh, the letter Philemon or Philemon? There's so many ways you could say it. There's a letter that Shaul wrote and it was about a slave who ran away and then he had to get sent back. 
And he was just like, all right, I need you to accept this guy back. But he's your brother now. He's no longer your slave. So there's like a faint echo of how the actual established court system works in Judaism, that if someone gets away and they should have been like sentenced to death, but yet they come back and they get found, it's like they don't actually put him back up for trial, which just makes the whole thing about Yeshua being handed over to be crucified like emphatically like not Jewish. <laughs> I don't know if that connection's ever made because many people go, oh, you Jews killed Jesus. And it's just like, that's not how we roll. Have you ever read the Mishnah? And as Mosul likes to say, you're welcome. So anyway, it says, rather the court administers the previous verse. Consequently, in any place where or where two witnesses will stand and say, we testify with regard to a man called so-and-so that his verdict was delivered and he was sentenced to death in the court of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so were his witnesses. So if you want to get put on trial, you have to have two eyewitnesses. First thing first. So chances of you getting in trouble by two people seeing you after you've been warned. I mean, think about that margin, right? So then it says, uh, that person shall be executed off of that testimony. The Mishnah continues, the mitzvah to establish a Sanhedrin, which is the court system, with the authority to administer capital punishment, is in effect in both Eretz Yisrael, which is the land of Israel and outside of the land of Israel. Okay. A Sanhedrin that executes a transgressor once in seven years is characterized as a destructive tribunal. Some translations say bloodthirsty. Again, when Yeshua was handed over, it totally was not the Jewish way. And yeah. And it was outside of court hours, outside of office hours, which <laughs> should say something. Then it also says the Sanhedrin, um, since the Sanhedrin would subject the testimony to exacting scrutiny, it was extremely rare for a defendant to be executed. And this is why knowing the trials, even though they were not right and proper, they scrutinized Yeshua and they still couldn't find anything. So. What's crazy is it's an improper trial and they're trying to come up with dirt on Yeshua and they can't find any. If that doesn't like emphasize the, the above reproachness and the integrity of Yeshua, I don't know what does. If he was false as a Messiah, that, that would have never happened. They would have found something like, oh, yeah, we did see him actually breaking the Shabbat one day, but they never said that. So that's crazy. Anyway, um, it says Rabbi Eliezer Ben Azariah says this categorization applies to a Sanhedrin that executes a transgressor once in every 70 years. Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Akiva, heavy hitters, they say, if we had been members of the Sanhedrin, we would have conducted trials in a manner 
whereby no person would ever have been executed. Rabbi Akiva? Mm. Okay, because we got a Rabbi Gamliel drop. Rabbi Rabban Shem, Shimon Ben Gamliel says, which is why I say Rabban Gamliel, because when you're the Ben of someone, you're actually the perpetuation of that person's life, that person's essence, and their teachings. Okay, so this is also why sources say that Yaakov, Jacob, our patriarch, never died, while Moshe, Moses, never died and all of that, because you continue on that person's legacy when you continue in the way that they did everything. So it's as if Rabban Gamliel is saying this as well. It says, in adopting that approach, they too would increase the number of murderers among the Jewish people. The death penalty would lose its deterrent value as all potential murderers would know that no one is ever executed. So that's pretty crazy where basically says, how in the world can we not have a society full of murderers since no one's getting executed? Well, again, remember how I said holiness will just start coming to you because you've set the standard so high. When you think about what I said earlier in the preface, it's not about penalizing and beating yourself down. It's about self-improvement. It's about rehabilitating your cognitive behavior. That's why. Because you realize that when you're passed over, when you're forgiven, when grace is given to you, you don't just go, I got away with it. What else can I get away with? Oh, my gosh. It's like, mm, okay, that was hard. That caused a lot of pain to other people. I was not aware of my actions. And because of that, uh, let me go back to square one and let me rethink how I do things. Let me step a little bit more cautiously now. Let me think about it. Okay, so that's how Torah works, by the way. This is why if you see someone, firing up the grill on Shabbat, this is why you don't go over there and drop kick them because they're going to go, oh, my gosh, uh, what did I do? And they'll have to think about a lot of things. And if they also care about other people, then they would also be concerned about uh, what shalom they disrupted <laughs> in their family and also within their greater community. So anyway, that's you got to take personal responsibility for everything. You can't just like have this whole like, we're going to do it my way or the highway, or I don't care what anybody else says about me. This is how I'm going to do it. You know, you don't have those kinds of things. You put that to death as well. All right. So section one, establishing a just society. Let's go to paragraph two. The Torah was given to a nation. Na, 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 na. The Jewish nation and not individuals. I can't stress that point enough because how many lone wolf mentalities exist in the world today? I'm just going to leave everybody behind. People are learning too slow. People are learning too fast. I'm out. Okay. Whatever side of the spectrum you fall on. Well, Torah was given to a nation. So what does that mean? That means you're probably going to be dealing with a wide spectrum of people 
which means, guess what? You're going to have Musar. Musar is going to happen. Personal character refinement and developing coming at you heavy because you're going to learn how to be patient. You're also going to learn how to not be intimidated. And you're also going to learn how to be your own person, but you're also going to learn how to compromise. You're also going to learn how to deal with some things that you would care not to deal with right now. And you're also going to be a part of solutions that you never thought you could be a part of. Because why? We're all called to be leaders. We're all a nation of priests. Okay? We have to help ourselves so that we can help the world. And Judaism is going to help us do that. So, nation. Think in a nation sense. Its primary purpose was not to save the individual soul. See, this is why the salvation message is uh, so, so destructive and disruptive if you don't have it connected to the sources. Following the Messiah is not per se all about salvation. It's beyond that. Judaism is not a religion. It's beyond that. It's a society. It's a civilization. It's an extended family. It's a way of thinking. It's a philosophy. You know, it's, again, self-improvement. It's improving the world. Like, there's so much to really think about on levels. So if you're just focusing on someone's soul being saved, you're actually denigrating the Torah. You're marginalizing Hashem. You're really narrowing the focus, which when you start having tunnel vision in life, it, it it's it's destructive. We we would just be chilling in the desert if, if it was all about being saved because we were we were set. We were literally walking on water in the desert. Everybody was walking on water. You know the thing Yeshua did when he called Kepha out to him? We all did that. The level of us being saved, brought out of Egypt, we prophesied greater than Ezekiel chapter 1. Homeboy, homeboy couldn't even explain what he saw. But yet, our lowest handmaidens and infants, out of the mouth of babes, all of that, that was happening when we came out of the wilderness. But guess what? Or came out into the wilderness. But guess what? We didn't stay there. We moved on into the land. And Hashem said, now that you're here, I want you to set up base, you know, chapter one of master plan. And then I want you to take this and expand it across the earth. That's beyond salvation. I mean, yeah, salvation is part of it. Don't don't throw it out. Like, don't be like, oh, I don't have to believe anymore. I'm out. You know, no, it's just like, just it's a big picture. Okay. Uh, also, but to bring into existence that extreme rarity in human affairs. How many of us know that it's very rare that a whole society can be just? No one doing the Sodom and Gomorrah stuff where they beat you up and then you have to pay them for the offense, you know, or making up a false currency and being like, oh, well, are you have enough? No, you don't. OK, well, that's a shame because now you're in debt with a false currency. And it's just like, wait, what? And who's feeding the homeless guy in the alley? We're going to kill him, you know, like that kind of stuff is on so many different levels. You know, uh, that's Sodom and Gomorrah teachings. Parsha Vaira. Okay, so that's what we're called to be. 
which means Jews are a miracle in the world. We do things that transcend physical flesh. Talk about walking in the spirit and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. Chapter one of Master Plan. It says it was intended that all facets and institutions of this society would be pervaded and sanctified by the spirit of justice and love, which is the hallmark of Torah. Like everything about justice and everything about love. So if you ever come into a situation where you're not feeling justice tempered with love, if you're not feeling the Abraham balance with the Isaac, the strictness with the loving kindness, the grace with the truth uh, balanced. If you're coming into a situation like that, then you should already know this is not proper. This is not kosher. Something's off. We got we got to work this out. That goes for ourselves as individuals. And then that goes to us as a community as well. So we always got to be mindful of those things. God promised that through the Torah, we would become a holy nation. So the avenue of how to become a just society is through the Torah. This is why having the Mashiach before us is a very, very big deal because he embodies what we may or may not be able to comprehend or conceive on our own. He is the one who links us to that because that's actually what the king of Israel is supposed to be, Parsha Shoftim. The king of Israel is the quintessential embodiment of what a Jew is what the Torah is. That's the king of Israel. So us following the Mashiach, this is the channel of how we do everything in the way that it is supposed to be done in its optimal manner and sense. Which is crazy because the Mashiach is not just for the Jews, but he's for the entire world, all mankind. Which, where is the point of intersect on that? Chapter one of Master Plan, being a just society. Okay, this means dedicated, a nation dedicated to just and fair relationships between man and man, between man and woman, citizen and alien, strong and weak. Not everybody is superheroes. So we need to take stock of that. And we need to look out for each other, superhero and non-superhero alike. And um, moving on, the bet dean let's talk about that the the legal system is built on a system of courts so you have your big 70 plus one that's where your capital punishment happens those are the people who are in charge of saying yay or nay whether a person gets uh you know uh and that wasn't there at the crucifixion so yeah. say la on that but anyway and then they also wait till the next pilgrimage festival which they also didn't do. They were just like, oh yeah, pilgrimage tomorrow. Let's kill him now. It's like, guys, you're actually supposed to wait through Shavuot. And it's like, well, if we wait through Shavuot, then we have to count the Yomer. Then we feel so bad every single day because we'd be learning about all of our failures and fixing ourselves. And by the time Shavuot happens, we won't want to kill him. And it's just like, you ruined our plan. So let's just do it now. See why rushing is not good in Torah? You miss a lot of things. Okay, so what's our court system? Okay, so meanwhile, we have to deal with the reality. Human beings were fallible, right? And it says the courts, which are known as Batei Dean, 
which is the plural of Beit Dean. These are and officers of law are necessary to settle disputes, enforce justice, and prevent exploitation of the weak and the strong and of the poor by the rich. Okay. So that's really what we're supposed to do. It's not really that we're just coming in and we're just making laws and just making people feel like we know it all. You don't know anything. Sit down, listen to us. It's like, okay, we're trying to bring shalom to the overall situation. This is why I think it's so neat that in Judaism, we have what's called shalom by yeet. Because in Judaism, everything starts with the home and then you focus outside. Isn't it interesting that at least if we take the scope of America, what if our broken homes went away? What would happen to the nation of America? I'm talking like two parent homes where it's a mom and a dad, you know, to balance out that masculine with the feminine, you know, uh, families that don't sit in front of the TV all the time and never have dinners together. You know, what would that be like? Children who actually played with real things and walked into real environments of nature. What would that be like? Anyway, that's what the court system is for. It's to bring in authenticity, to bring in the realness and to make it flow from the home all the way out. This is why Aharon, the brother of Moses, is so crucial to the Jewish people's success is that he was the one who was secretly working his way through being wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. And he was creating scenarios where people had to be in shalom with each other. Two people were fighting. He'd go to one and be like, you know, so-and-so over there is so hurt. And it's like, how hurt is he? Man, he is so hurt. He just wants to tell you, man, I didn't know what I was thinking. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do it. I just want to apologize. But like, he said that? Homeboy was just so, oh, I don't want to, boy, if I see him, and then I'll around be like, okay, cool. Then he go to the other person be like, man, so-and-so is so hurt. How hurt is he? Man, he just wants to apologize to you. He didn't know what he was doing. And then when those people saw each other, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Oh, God, I don't know what I was doing. What came over me? You know, just freaking out, doing all this stuff. That's what the court systems do. They make people beloved to each other. In the letter to Romans, Shaul says, let us greet each other with a holy kiss. Well, did you know what a holy kiss is in Judaism? A holy kiss means secrets of Torah. Share secrets of Torah with one another. Did you know one of the secrets of Torah is Come get you some. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together. And since we're in Sukkot, what does the Hasidic source say? That all Yisrael would dwell in one Sukkah. Man, could you imagine that? Man, I'm telling you from the most strict and stringent to the least, I don't even know what you're doing. Sitting in one suit being like, look at my intro. Look at your intro. Let's, let's wait a little. What's a little love? Oh, let me tell you about it. Greeting each other in a, with a holy kiss. That's what that looks like. And Shaul was telling the Romans, y'all need to do that. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Which, by the way, because uh, someone said Odeneg. So there's a word in Hebrew 
that if you take the word oneg, you rearrange it and it's naga, which means to touch in a blemish way, like a person who has leprosy. So when you distort the oneg, it becomes like a leprous affliction, which is all connected to Lashon Hara, which is connected to bloodshed and murder, which what does the Mashiach say? Why are you being a bunch of murderers? Because you hate your brother in your heart. Why are you so sexually immoral because you lust in your own mind? It's like, well, you can actually refocus that energy and turn it into an oneg. And that's what happens through you being connected to the Torah. So that's the power of the Torah. That's the power of the Bet Dean. Because they come alongside you and go, hey, let's, let's help you out here. So we're a little falling short over here. Let's pull that in. Take that and pull that over there. Let's put this right here. Okay, turn that. Here's the perspective. And it's like, boom. And this is why you can have so many different opinions in Judaism, because it's like, what are you actually trying to accomplish? Are you trying to heal the world or are you trying to destroy the world? Are you trying to make the Torah stand up as a light beam or are you trying to make the Torah fall down and be something worse than um, the most idolatrous of things? Because that's possible. The same tour that brings life can also bring death. It just depends on what you're trying to do with it. Okay. The Bet Dean of the Torah has, oh, this is page three. Got about five more minutes and then we'll wrap it up. Says the Torah has an educative function. The Bet Dean is supposed to educate the people. Did you know that? Says the Sanhedrin or the Supreme Court is composed of the greatest Torah sages of each generation. Sometimes prophets would be on the Bet Dean as well. And they'd be part of the Sanhedrin as well. And Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 1, also says that the prophets were known as the guardians of the oral Torah, which means all of those Talmud teachings and every drop that we have, that was carefully guarded from Moses through the prophets into our codified writings that we have today. So can we really trust lighting candles on Arab Shabbat or a Yom Tov or during the Kiddush? Well, do you trust Isaiah? Do you trust Jeremiah? Okay. And don't cry about it because Jeremiah cried a lot. Okay. Anyway. So it says the, uh, they're empowered to make ordinances to assist the people in keeping the laws. See, this is why they're not adding to the Torah. They're assisting. So they're not creating new laws. You know, celebrating Hanukkah isn't adding to the Torah. It's assisting us in keeping in Torah because what happened on Hanukkah? People were like, get away from Torah. Don't worry about all that Mishnah stuff. Get that out of here. Okay, and along came Hanukkah was like, actually, you do need the Mishnah. Let me tell you why. Rededication. And it says, um, this is the source of the Takanot de Rabbanan. Takanot de Rabbanan, which is rabbinic decrees. So what the rabbis say, this is why that's important. Because what the rabbis say, if you're really coming from the sources, they don't ever say anything that's too crazy. Okay? 
some people go, oh, those rabbis can't trust them. And it's just like, well, have you really read what they say? <laughs> because they're here to help and assist us. Uh, let's go down to the last paragraph of this section. But above all, the role of the judge in the eyes of the Torah to redress the grievances of those who are abandoned and alone to protect the dignity of the poor to save the oppressed from the hands of the oppressor. This is what the bet dean does. This is what the court system does. This is what the society of Jews are supposed to do. So one of the things that happens, especially depending on what branch of orthodoxy is, there's a, a big uh, expense for a lot of the things that you have to do, like where you live, where you send your child to school. Well, guess what? If you're, if you're not able to meet those financial stands, according to our sources, that is some, something that is supposed to be rectified and tacooned and taken care of. Whatever measures are needed are supposed to be taken to ensure that no one has to feel left out or denigrated or pushed to the side. They, they shouldn't be made to feel like, oh, yeah, you might as well just leave the Torah alone. You shouldn't even consider this walk because it's just too expensive for you. Uh, Master Plan, Chapter 1. Okay, last thing I want to mention. There's a section of Halakha on page 5. When you go through each chapter, it always concludes if there's any points of Halakha. Like, this is an actual established Halakha that you walk in to really uphold everything that you just read in the chapter. So, how is one of the most practical ways to be a just society? Well, number one, if one lives in an unjust and corrupt society, has no hope of influencing it in the right direction, he must leave the society as soon as possible and settle in a society which is closer to the Torah's ideals. That's a hot button, because that's a, whoo. Yeah, we ain't gonna unpack that, because we out of time. Okay, so. Taking of bribes, not only in money, but in favor, services, courtesy. I don't care how much holly you give me. Yeah. <laughs> not doing it. Okay. It says, even with the stated intention of giving a fair judgment disqualifies a judge. Okay. So if that's any, any of that's going on, if there's any kind of stuff outside of the judge is doing what he's supposed to do, then that's a bribe. That's wrong. That's bad. We're not, we're refrained. Paid testimony is not lawful testimony. Can't pay people to be put on the witness stand. Okay. So probably that one person who was like, oh, yeah, I heard Yeshua say, tear down this temple. He could have been paid. I definitely know the scribes and those Sadducees were paid to fall. And wow, that was that was cold. Judas was paid. Okay. So that that's just all right. Okay. It's not all right, but it's a good point. Okay. One may not withhold evidence which could help a fellow man in his case. End of our class. 
Chag Sukkot Sameach. And thank you for joining us today. May you be blessed and may we establish a just society. B'Shem Yeshua Mashiach.